Elizabeth. No, Elizabeth. No, Elizabeth, don't. This is Left Unsupervised with Elizabeth Morales, your comedic host that's done it all. Actress, writer, director, producer, headdresser, bartender, beauty pitch, and organizer, rock and roll, PR expert, talent coordinator, bookkeeper, hostess, makeup artist, wife, mother, and general badass. Now listen as she interviews all of her favorite celebrities, doctors, and entrepreneurs that she's met along the way. This week, Elizabeth is Left Unsupervised with her guest, Joe Menendez. Okay, so Macy, today we have... Um, Joe Menendez, who is an amazing director, and um, I want to know your craziest audition story. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Keep it down to one, please, okay? (laughs) I I see your your brain clicking over there. No, I have one um, for sure. What is um, it? A couple of years ago. I well, I guess it's, I say that now. It's been like a decade, I guess now, <laughs> but it still haunts me in my yeah. sleep. Um, I was down to one of the final people for a big part uh, on the last season of True Blood. Okay, and uh, so they had the scripts all kinds of confidential because no one knew how it was going to end. And so I got like one little tiny like page and a half that I'd gone and auditioned on several times. And so then I go in to do the screen test, and they hand okay, me... wait a minute, this is the screen test. Yeah, so screen okay. testing for this role. Okay, so I go in to do the screen test. It's like the producer session. So it's the right. director, all the producers, everyone at the network that's making this show is in the room. Right, and they hand me all of these additional sides. And so I'm dyslexic, oh, first of all. So that's like my shit, worst nightmare. I hate but I didn't want be like guys I'm just like, like I can't read this I'm, I'm gonna throw up now so I was just like oh yeah no problem so I get can up I there. have a couple minutes can I have a couple minutes <laughs> oh <outside>? listen <laughs> I could have had five days and it wouldn't have helped me with this so I'm up there and I'm like I got this role and I start reading through it and it's like I'm having to say these lines and I'm running through the woods so I'm like pantomiming jogging and then it's like and then a vampire comes and it bites you on the neck and it starts dragging you through the forest and I'm like just hurling my myself on the ground and then I'm like crawling under a rock and like did you say any lines or was this all like I mean listen I don't even know I was like trying to follow the lines and basically I I can't even describe what happened to me in that room but at the end of it I just stood up and I was like yeah I'm done thanks (laughs) like this is over I'm embarrassed. You're embarrassed for me. Like, please just let me go out to my car and cry now. And, like, my hands, when I got in the car, my hands were shaking so hard. Like, I felt like I'd been through trauma. You're bruised. I was bruised. What are your lines? I don't fucking know. I was being chased by a vampire. I was, like, kickboxing an invisible person up there while trying to be like, no, don't. It was horrible. What's your most embarrassing audition story, Elizabeth? I know you have one. I have a few, but one that really kind of sticks out in my mind, which I was horrified, but what do you do? You know, I went on this audition. I did a great job. I get a a call back, right? So I'm all stoked. And I'm, I'm, you know, know, working the night before, just like getting ready for my call back. Around 10 o'clock at night, my dog gets sprayed by a skunk. And I don't know if you know this, but if your dog or your cat or your pet gets sprayed, if they come in the house, you're screwed. Oh, no. And so 
I opened the door because they were outside in the backyard. I uh-huh. opened the door. The dog comes hauling ass inside the house. I oh, smell no. it immediately. He's rubbing up against oh, me. Oh, I can only so, imagine your reaction to that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean because I'm, I'm OCD? I'm sure it was small. <laughs> So I have nothing to clean skunk spray, right? So I had read that you take tomato, tomato, no, tomato, tomato sauce, right? I have no tomato sauce. I use marinara sauce on my dog, right? (laughs) It's tomato, right? So I'm like putting this all over him. You're making a pasta with poor Rocco. (laughs) They tell you, do not put water because it's oil, so it'll spread more. So of course, I don't listen because I got to wash him, you know, Uh me with the washing. So I'm washing him, washing him. Girl, I took like three showers. I show up at the callback. I get in the car and I call my husband and I'm like, baby, I got that skunk smell up in my nose. My car smells like it. You know, whatever. (laughs) I go into the audition. I swear to God, I could smell it in like in my body. I get to the audition and all of a sudden everybody rounds me like, I smell a skunk. Do you smell a skunk? I smell and I'm like, oh yeah, I smell it too. Oh my god. Everyone start inching away from you in the casting. Like chairs are being scooted into the room (laughs) with all the executives in there. All of a sudden everybody's looking at each other and they're like I smell skunk. Do you smell skunk? And I'm like, fuck. And oh, all no. they could, they were just staring at me. I think they knew. They either probably thought I smoked a huge fatty before I came <laughs> I was in. Okay. That same thing. You were just blazed. <laughs> so I leave the office. My son, I pick up my son. Everybody at school says he smells like skunk. My husband at work, my agent calls me and he's like, did you smoke a fatty in the parking lot? And I'm like, what are you talking Stop about? It. She's like, do you smell like, they say it smells like, I go, girl, I got sprayed. And then, oh my God. And then, and yeah, like, who's going to believe that? Aiden's <laughs> friend's mom comes over to pick up Aiden and she's all, I think she thought I burned a fatty before while Aiden was on a plane date. <laughs> so, oh my God. Just call me Skunk Girl. So hopefully, if Joe has a new movie with any superheroes, I could be Skunk Girl. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Let's tell him about your new character whenever he gets on this show. I'll help pitch you. Okay, thanks. All right. Here's well, Skunk Girl and her superpowers <laughs> stinking everyone out of the room. Needless to say, I didn't get the part. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> well, let's go grab Joe. <laughs> All right, Joe, we've got a new superhero for you. Get ready. Skunk Girl! Today we have an award-winning director, Joe Menendez, on our show. Joe is a film and television director that has directed over 100 hours of television, including hit shows, one-hour dramas like Siren, 12 Monkeys, From Dust to Dawn, and Queen of the South. He is also an acclaimed producer, writer, and feature film director known for his hit Spanish film, Ladrón que roba ladrón. Welcome, Joe. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here. Me too. This is great. So let's just get into this, man. Where are you from? Let's do it. Uh, I was born in New York City, uh, but at a very young age, I was like two or three months old, my parents moved to Miami, the Mecca, where all Cubans uh, eventually end up, it seems. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And, uh, but I grew up in Hialeah, which is a Hialeah. sort of- uh, La Ciudad Progresa. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a suburb of Miami, uh, you know, best known for the uh, racetrack, but uh, it's also known as uh, water factories and, uh, what is it? Agua Fango Factoria. Water yeah. fact- uh, water and mud. mud and, yeah, water mud and factories. Uh, but that's where I grew up. And 
and uh, but then moved out here to Los Angeles in 1992. So that's, I've been out here longer than I've been in Miami. So L.A. is now weirdly home. I've been here longer than like it was a weird thing a few years ago when I realized that I'd flipped that I was in L.A. longer than I was in Miami. Right. So now when you say I'm going back home, it's really not your home. I this still say I'm home. going back home. I do I, that all the I, time. I, my impulse is still to say because that's where my mother is, my sister, all my family, my cousins. You know, it's where I, it's where your you know your formative years. I suppose will always be home. Are they always freaking out for you because of the earthquakes? No, not really. They at, at first, at first there was a you know there was a there was concern just in general, just moving to Los Angeles yeah. that you know was a big freaky thing. But I remember the, I was here for the Northridge quake. And, Me um, too. Yeah, that was insane. And I remember that when it happened, um, I in, you know I still had you know you know a, a landline, and I called my mother instantly, and it was like seven thirty in the morning for her, and I said you know mom. There was an earthquake here. I'm fine. Um, the apartment isn't fine, but I'm fine. Where did you're, you live? About, I lived in Hollywood. Okay. And I felt it, even though it was in, in Northridge. And so my mother turned on the news. She's like, no, no, no. They're not saying anything on the news. Oh, wait, there it is. Like, I literally called her before live news broke in. Uh, so that was a weird thing. But other than that, it's, you know, it's it, you, you sort of are used to it. You know? Let me tell you, I was a mile from the epicenter. And it was the first time that I've ever felt an earthquake. And my roommate found me in a fetal position in the bathroom saying Armageddon is here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah, standing standing in the doorway and saying, you know, let it end, let it end, let it end. That's I just kept repeating that. It was scary. It was scary. It, it was, was like the sound. Yeah. I didn't know earthquakes. Had, like it felt like a train yeah. was going through my apartment. I had a hundred gallon fish tank. Mm-hmm. All on the floor oh, with Lord. tropical fish. It was yeah. crazy. Well, let me ask you: When you moved to LA, um, what is the thing you most mostly miss about Miami? Oh, that's that's quick. Uh, the food. Food. Yeah, the Cuban <laughs> food. You know, although there are there are serviceable Cuban restaurants out here, and this is no offense to any to any Cuban restaurant out here, it's just not the same as you know as the food in Miami. Uh, so that's the thing that I miss the most. And when I go to Miami, I, I like. You know, I, I eat, you know, like I, I sort of like go on this like fasting thing like for like a week before I go to Miami. And then when I go there, I just, you know, I, I go. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. And I go to every single Latin America. I go to all the Cuban restaurants and I just ingest rice and beans and bitem panisado. And um, shut up. You're making me hungry. Yeah. But the food is the thing. You know, then, you know, there, you know, obviously family, you know, is obviously a key thing because you miss events and you miss things. And, you know, you get phone calls and you see photographs of things that you've missed. But. Um, but you know, the first, like my first instant reaction was food. And then, you know, but in no particular order, food and family, it could be family and food, depending. Let me tell you, I make a mean Cuban coffee with espumita and everything. Oh, look at that. Every, yeah. every morning I make my Cuban coffee. You do? Morning. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Okay. We are La true. And oh, I, I, I yes. make them both in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe, tell me what was your first project? What was that like? What was it? Well, I mean, you know, I, I was one of those, um, that started making movies at a very young age on uh, Super 8 film since I was a little kid, you know, so I literally don't know how to do anything else other than be a director. Had this not worked out, honestly, I don't know what else I would have done. So, you know, by the time I sort of got to my, you know, first quote unquote professional uh, job, um, you know, and, and I, I mean, you know, I had directed reenactments and, and I had done stuff for Telemundo. But sort of what I consider my first sort of real, like, you know, gauntlet of, you know, where it was a full, because, you know, up to, up to that point, I had done a lot of things where the crews were smaller. You know, there were skeleton right. crews. It was like max crew of 10. So um, I did a show for Nickelodeon, I, th- I think it was in 1999 or 2000, called The, uh, the Brothers Garcia. Oh, and, I remember. And, and The Brothers Garcia was a half hour uh, uh, single cam show. 
Um, and so, you know, uh, I, I got on that show. And, they, you know, I'd done the prep and, you know, and, and, and again, I'd been doing it for a long time by that, even by that point. So I, I knew what to expect. And, I you know, day one, call time was seven. And it was, you know, at 7 a.m., the AD said, we're in. Joe, you have the set. And I remember when she said that, that I turned. And what happened is every single crew person, now all heads turned to me. <gasps> the cast all turned to me. And it was quiet because oh suddenly God. it was like, go. What are you, you know, what, you know, what are we doing? So, you know, there was a moment, you know, there was like a moment, I think it may have been like, in my head it was like, you know, two hours, but it was maybe like two seconds where right. I was like, holy crap, look at all these people here. And it was, you know, a, a full crew. And, but at that moment it was, it's this weird thing, Elizabeth, because it's like when you've been doing it for a long time and you, you sort of weirdly know what to do in a moment. And it, frankly, is when you break it down to its smallest components, it's exactly what I used to do when I was 10 and 11 with my brother and my cousins. I'm aiming a camera at actors. So it was essentially just going right back to that. All right, so here's what we're doing. So I think you stand in here, you come over here, you land here, what do you think? And then you turn and then, uh, and you know, you block it. And everyone's watching. And the reason everyone's watching, I mean, maybe some people are watching to see if you're going to fuck it up and you're going right. to make a mistake. Like, who's this idiot? You know? Uh, you know. Like, there's, you know, there's, there's a good amount of people on that crew that's like, why aren't, you know, I should be getting a shot. Like, right, who's right. Who's this moron, you know? And so they're all like, Wait, there's always haters. Think. Yeah, there's always somebody like yeah. that. And that's whatever. But, you know, but instantly you start to do it and you start blocking and like, it all makes sense. And you get a few laughs and, you know, like, oh, and it like, you ease into it. And, the, you know, the crew, you know, the cast goes away and you turn to the DP and you're like, here's the shot. And I think it's this and this and this. And they go, great. And, with, you know, and I remember that I was pulled aside later that, you know, people knew within, you know, you know, 15, 20 seconds of blocking and staging of that first shot. They're like, oh, OK, this guy knows what he's doing. And, you know, and, and it's just I, I had been doing it. So I was fully prepared. It wasn't a shock. Like it was like that moment of like, holy crap. But to it's this that day, delay. It's like it's the, the, it's go up to the brains, that little yeah. two minute delay, two seconds. No, it was like, no, it was like, it was, it was two seconds of out of body where it was like, oh my oh. God, like I'm on a, I'm on a set. I, and I think I was at Sunset Gower. So it was a, you know, like a good, like set, you know, it was like a, like nice. a good lot and all that. And to this day though, I got to tell you to this day there it's no longer, you know, this moment of like shock, but to this day, it's always, it's, I've, I've never taken it for granted. I've always had this moment of gratitude. Like I very rarely have these, like I used to have them all the time when I was younger, but now, but it's very rare that you get those moments where you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Wow. But you know, there's moments that you're like, what a, what a cool job that I get to, you know, wake up in the morning and this is what I do. And you know. At whatever time the call time is, they say we're in, and it's the greatest moment for me now. There's no fear. It's the greatest moment we're in, and now it's exciting because now it's time to start creating. It's time, you know, I, you know, actors come over and like, here's what I'm thinking, and we're blocking. And there's been times that I've started blocking, and within 10 seconds, an actor's like, oh no, I don't like that. I wouldn't stand. I'd be sitting over here. And then you, you, you know, you've got one of two choices. You can go listen. Hang on, I'm the director. <laughs> or you go, there's a reason that this actor is feeling that way. Let right. me go and figure out why. And sometimes, and usually they're right because they're, you know, an actor's wearing the shoes right. of the character, you know, so they have to, they have to embody that thing. They have to, they have to make that thing work for themselves. So you can't be rigid as a director and go, but I've got a shot in mind. You can't, you can't do that. And so you have to be able, now you can nudge and if there's a story reason why they shouldn't be sitting, then you have to say that. You're like, look, if you sit, then that's going to do this and. But yeah. that's great because you're a director that likes to work and listen to your actors, right? Oh, you'd they're, be a fool not to. 
well, be a fool not to. It, it's, I'm sure you've had it. I'm sure you as an actor, you've had the director that's like, oh, thank you for your, you know, thoughts. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen. No, yeah. I can't. I can't do it. Now, that's not to say that there aren't moments that I have specific shots in mind, but I'll start with that. I'll say, I've got an idea for a shot and this is what I'm thinking and I'm hoping you guys can help me get to the shot. And, or, I, you know, I could show them storyboards. I could show them a previs or whatever. And then they know what we're doing. But if it's like a dialogue scene and I'm like already starting with, so I track in with you and you land, you know, then they're, they're already like, okay, this guy's a, te- a technical guy. He's not, you know, what actors want is to know that you're watching and that you're seeing the nuances. You're seeing the small things that they're doing because, you know, the good ones have really broken down these scripts so they know you know, like they've oh, created is, their yeah. So you, as a director, I I want to see what you guys have come up with, and then if you don't have anything, or or if it's not working, or whatever, then we could play and we can nudge. And I'm like, well, how about this? How about that? And I could suggest, and you know, uh, uh, but I, I'd be a fool to not listen, not just to actors, but to anybody, even a DP, a sound man, anybody. You know. Well, Joe, do you think? Because I know that you do, um, you you direct in Spanish and you direct in English. I have is there about, yeah. is there a difference? Do you think when you're working on a Spanish set than there is on American sets working with, or is it just under the it's same the umbrella? Same. It's, it's just same. creating. Yeah, it's all the same. I've I've shot a couple movies in the uh, Dominican Republic. And, you know, while obviously... I used the, to live in Santo Domingo. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I went to junior high school there. I spent a lot of time down there, yeah. Wow. And uh, But what I found is that, you know, I found that the bulk of the crew spoke English, number one. Uh, but number two, but they obviously spoke to each other in Spanish. But all the, you know, like there's little things that you have to learn, you know, uh, like instead of, you know, give them the cue, the, you know, dale la clave, you know, right. or whatever. There's like little things like that that you sort of learn, you know, how to say something in Spanish. Well, will you explain your process to me? Are you a big storyboarder? When you read a script, mm-hmm. and how do you make what's on paper come alive? Like, what is your thought process? Yeah. How do you work? Because everybody has a different process. Yeah. I, I, I am a big shot lister. Um, I storyboard when needed. Um, if it's you know, an action scene or a scene with visual effects. Uh, but I, the first time I read a script, I'll write down notes, you know, what I'm seeing and or like little little bits or little like a, a performance note or whatever, so because those first ideas only come to you once, you know. So you know, you you want to make sure you hang on to those initial ideas. So I write them down, um, and I, you know, I sometimes refer to them, I sometimes don't, I sometimes you know keep them. But then once I really get into the prep and I really start to break something down, it's all about shot listing and meetings and letting everybody know because you want and I distribute my shot list to anybody that wants it because to me you know I, I don't want it to be a grand mystery where the you know where I'm sitting at video village and no one can look at my process you know <laughs> to me it's like when I get on there you know the job of a director is simply this I am articulating what's in my head to everybody right. and saying this is what I see and then the job of everyone is to execute what I'm saying you know in TV as opposed to film, there's a, there's there's some differences, you know, that you have to sort of modulate a little bit when I'm directing for television as opposed to for film. Which but is the process next, is identical. That's the next thing I wanted to ask you, ask you actually, was what is the difference between TV and film? The back row. What? In TV, there's a back row. In TV, you have uh, the, it's a writer's medium. So the writer has created the show. So as a director, I work for the writer or the executive producer, the creator of the show. For TV. Will. For TV, so and then you, typically also in TV, there are executives from the network. You know, sometimes that will come visit, and so oftentimes you'll say cut, and you turn around, you turn around, and you turn around to the back row, 
and you go, what do you guys think? And then the creator or the, or the writer will give you notes and like, well, I think it should be this, should be that. And so you dutifully take those notes and you go to the actors and you, 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 you give them those notes or to the DP. Um, in film, there is no back row. When I'm ready to move on, I move on. And there's no turning around and looking at anybody. If I'm ready to move on, I, I just do it. Ladron que roba ladron. Now, that movie, I got to give you kudos because even though it's a Spanish movie, you have so many different nationalities. Yeah. You have Cubans, you have Puerto Ricans, you Colombians, have... Colombians, Argentinians, Mexicans. Mexican, everything. Mm-hmm. I really find that um, unique because it's not done a lot. And also, it was fa- it was filmed very American. Right. So could you give a little background on casting? Was that on pur- was that purposeful? Yeah. Or did you just say these are the guys that, you know, uh, nailed the job and it doesn't matter what nationality they are? That's what it was. It, it was what happened is the movie was written um, and, you know, the characters were written um, with no sort of ethnicity in, in mind. I mean, you know, we knew we were going to make it in Spanish, but other right. than that, we didn't know whether a Mexican was going to play this part or an Argentinian was going to play that part. So what happened is, like the casting process in any movie, you just start going through, you know, who you think is right, who's available, you know, who means something in the marketplace. You go through all those things. And so um, then you end up with, um, you know, a Mexican and a Colombian as the leads, and then the the, the bad guy's an Argentinian, and then you've got, you know, Oscar Torre, who was the, the Cuban actor, you know. And then what you end up doing is then you end up adjusting the script knowing, okay, we've got all these great actors. It would be silly to not give some specificity to each person's um, nationality and that would just enrich the, the, the part without, you know, getting soapboxy and getting up on and saying, you know, we Argentinians, have, yeah. you, know, you don't want to do that because you don't want right. to vilify anyone either. You don't want to say Argentinians all suck or Colombians all suck. You don't ever want to do that. Right. It just so happens that the bad guy in Ladron was un argentino. Um, and, but, you know, there were things that he, that Saul Lizazo brought to the part that were specific that he brought. He was like, oh, you know what I would say here? I would say, you know, and I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, go ahead. And, you know, and, and it's all just little nuances and, and, and like detail work. But, um, you know, I, you know, it's funny because um, I don't know how to make a Mexican movie or an Argentinian movie or a Latin. I, I don't know how to do that. I know I'm an American. I was born in New York. I know how to make an American movie. Whether it's in English or in Spanish, all I can do is do the. I mean, I grew up on a steady diet just of Spielberg make movie, right? and Star Wars. Like to me, I don't. So when it's when I'm directing, even if it's in Spanish, I'm still doing it the way that you know that I see it and the way you know that I was influenced by American movies and by more specifically by popcorn movies. You know, I'm not a big indie uh, film guy, a big art house guy. So for me, all my influences are all sort of popcorny kind of Hollywood type type movies. So that's why. My movies and even my TV shows, to a certain extent, feel the way they do. Uh, it's because that was my influence. I'm not an art house guy, like uh, you know. And the moment that something starts to feel pretentious or whatever, I instantly start rolling my eyes. Like we were talking before this, that you know, I have a working class background, so I'm always at odds. The filmmaker in me is always at odds with the working class guy in me. That I'm always back and forth going. The you know, the filmmaker in me is like, oh, I have to see this because for the cinema, where the working class guy is going, oh, shut up, I don't want to see that pretentious drivel. You know, so, um, but that's kind of that's why it feels the way it does. It's not because we sat around twirling our mustaches going, aha, let's make a Hollywood. It's just, that's just how, like, I don't know another way of doing it. But I Joe, I mean, I wish more people in Hollywood would 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 follow in your footsteps because, you know, um, actors should get work for nailing the role and Correct. not want, not what 
not what nationality or ethnicity that's, they are. That's correct. So I applaud you for that. But I do and that I with would... casting in general, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's television or film. For me, unless you're doing a period piece and it's specific to an era, and obviously it's like, you know, England in the 1800s, it would be weird to suddenly have somebody, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that, oh, wasn't, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't English. Like, that would be <laughs> yeah. weird. But if you're doing a modern day, you know, it's a contemporary story and, like, the character is John Smith and... You know, Jacqueline Henderson, you know, I, I always say, bring me everybody. Bring me bring me white, bring me black, bring me Latino, bring me Asian, bring me everybody. And, and may the best man or woman win. Uh, because to me, I'd rather have it open up and, 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 you know, me be exposed to every actor as opposed to just this. Because, you know, we're all sort of pre-wired to just assume that, oh, this should just be somebody who's Anglo, oh, just, this, you, know, you know, this should just be someone who's black. To me, unless it's a specific period thing, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I want everybody. Well, kudos. I, I love that. I, I really do. And I think more people should have open mind to, to doing the same. I think there's more and more people that are coming around to that way of thinking, I, I feel. Joe, who's your inspiration? In terms of film artists, like mm-hmm. filmmakers, Spielberg. Filmic. Steven Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis. I mean, those are the two guys that that strongly influence to this day. To this day, I um, you would know, you love to work with uh, Steven Spielberg? Oh, of course. I mean, that's who like, wouldn't, right? I think, yeah, I, think yeah, that's that's like a, the, I think that's the moment I cash in. You know, like <laughs> you, you, I, I I either work for Spielberg or I do a Star Wars movie. I think at that point I cash in. Like, like where do I go from there? You know, I'm like I'm yeah, done. That's, yeah, <laughs> I'm out. You know. I, I'm retired. And I go, you know, I'm going to go open up like a bookstore somewhere in Iowa or something. I'm, you know, who knows? Um, no, I, I, that, that'd be great. But I think there's also a, a part of me that, that you know, uh, would be intimidated, I think, to, you know, like, oh, crap, Spielberg. But, but who wouldn't want to be in that sort of company? And, and you know, and it's sort of a, you know, would be uh, just from a learning standpoint to be around someone like that and just be able to filter as much as you can and watch their process and watch what they do. Oh no, it'd be it'd be amazing, but yeah, you know, it's it's Spielberg without a doubt, and Zemeckis. Oh my God! Well, hello. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you can't get any better than yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those, yeah. Do you have any crazy funny stories like like on set? Like it, I know you've done horror. Yeah. Do you have anything on set while you were shooting that happened um, that was kind of weird? Well, I, I did an episode of From Dust Till Dawn that, um, and it's it's basically, it was Robert Rodriguez's movie that he then adapted into a television show. So we did three seasons of that, and I did a number of episodes, including the series finale. And uh, But there was one episode in particular that um, the story was that it, it was it was a bunch of vampires that um, would torture humans and, you know, cut them up into pieces, you Ooh. know. So when you walk into, so the idea was this, like, torture room where they would do all sorts of nasty things to, to humans, um, uh, and even vampires, and culebras, actually, is what we call them. Uh. We, we, we call them culebras on From the Soldan. Okay. But uh, the idea was, like, it was this room where basically there was going to be body parts hanging on meat hooks, there was going to be body parts strewn on tables. Uh. It was just, a, and the floor was bloody, the walls were bloody. There, you know, ah, you're scared you me see, already! <laughs> like, it was, like, 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 shackles on walls where they had bound someone, or whatever. And so, you know, and, you know, we had talked about this room and all that, and, and it was actually built for the episode before me. You're so making by the me time sweat right I now. Onto set, um, it was it had already been built, and um, and and they were shooting on day one. So I said, "Oh, I want to go down. I want to see the set because you know I've been reading about it, you know." And so I said, "You know, 
Let me go check it out. And when I walked in, I knew, and it's K and B, the same people that do The Walking Dead were doing all the, the creature effects and all the blood and all the body parts and all that. And so I walked on and, and I, I got to tell you, I had a reaction when I walked in there because it was so disgusting. And it was just so, because it looks so unbelievably real. So I walk on and there's a moment where you, where you kind of like go, oh God, oh God. I, I'm going to hell if I walk in here. And so, I, you know, but obviously I had, to, I had to shoot in there. So I said, well, this is all clearly fake. So I had to go and touch everything. And I was like, okay, that's foam rubber. Okay, that's corn syrup and food. Co- okay, oh, all right. Got-. And in the moment I touched everything and I realized, like, like, you, like there was like a hook with like blood and guts on the end of it. And I pick it up and it's like, oh, okay, that's like paper. And all right, got it. And then, the, you know, like I had to go and touch everything to make sure, okay, it's all fake. All right, thank God. All oh my right, God. And then I'm working in there. Joe, then, I'm sweating. Oh my God. Okay, I've never watched a horror film in my life. No, I don't blame you. I, I always say that I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of watching some horror movies, especially like the devil ones. Like whenever the devil- That's the ones. Like the, the devil ones. ones are the ones that I'm like, I can't, I can't. I can't. Oh my God. I've never seen yeah. Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, oh no, they stay with The you. Omen. It freaks you out. No. It freaks you out. But I can see like, if it's like 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 blood and guts and it's gory and all that, yeah, yeah whatever. Like Chainsaw like, Massacre, but, that's kind of but bad. But when it's, yeah, when it's like a slasher thing, I'm yeah. like, you know, ah, okay. But it's like the ones about the devils in the room. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't. Yeah. That's, that's what okay. I, I passed on a script. I passed on a script that was like all like a possession thing and all that. And I'm like, really? I, I, I wonder if it's, I wonder hour, if... I mean, a year and a half to my life of, you know, you know, doing, oh, God, no. But do you think it's because of the Cuban juju? Maybe. That maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, it was like, you know, I don't believe in Santeria, but just in case. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I yeah. don't want to mess with it. Just in case. That's know. me, yeah. Amen, brother. (laughs) So with all of this stuff that you do, TV, movies, write, produce, how the hell did you write a novel? You are a very accomplished man. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's, you know, there was a a guy that I I worked with once um, um, who did a lot of great pieces of advice. His his name is Will Gluck. And, uh, you know, Will was a showrunner, and now he's a director in his own right. Um, But he he said, um, uh, you know, when you're a writer or you're a creator— you know, there's you have a lot of hours where you're not at work. We have a lot of hours where you're not busy, and you should fill those hours writing something. You should fill those hours creating something. Now, of course, if you've got like as we get older, we have families. Now, you know that time it starts becoming any less. But right. But rather than what what he was saying is, that, you know, the people that sort of make it and the people that really succeed are the people that say, "Ooh, I've got two hours. I've got two options in those two hours. I could dick around in front of the television and just flip around and watch Netflix and just go, or I could sit around for two hours and I could write something. You know, now sometimes watching Netflix, you're watching them for research, so it's so that's still part of work. Right. But his his philosophy, and I've sort of taken that as my own, is nobody is nobody has you know where they you know so, so, so some people say I just have no time. That's bullshit. Of course you have time. You're just not making time. Like on the weekends, like I spend, you know, like I, I you know, there's times that he, like at home, my daughter's watching something, my wife is doing something. I've got time. So I can either like, sure, I could, I could take a nap if I wanted to. And, I, and it'd be great. I'd love to. Take <laughs> oh, a nap. they're overrated. Yeah, but you take a nap for an hour and a half and you just nap for an hour and a half. Okay. Which is, I guess it's good for the body and you, know, you rest and all that. Or you could use that hour and a half and you can, you know, Sit down with uh, uh, my good friend Carlos Cotto, who ran from the Soldan, um, loves to go and sit outside and he smokes a cigar. 
and he and he brings out his uh, his book, his little you know, like he's got like a little journal, and he noodles, and he goes, "I'm just thinking," and he'll like smoke cigars, and I'm like, "That's great," and I now I do that as well. You know, you could take these things from from people, and you could realize that the people who are successful um, are doers, yeah, and they don't waste a lot of time with "I'm tired" or with "I'm too" or "I'm you know I don't have any time." Or, you know, uh, my, oh, my, my mind's not into it. All right, well, cool. Well, good for you. Enjoy your nap and all that. In the meantime, I'm going to go and do this other thing. And that's, just, that's sort of the common denominator with people who are truly successful is they, they just work at it. And, and, you know, I, I've got a – I won't mention his name, but I've got a friend of mine um, who had his own theories as to why I was getting opportunities and he wasn't. Like we came up at the same time and then it just got to the point where he, he just wasn't getting the opportunities. And, uh, and he had all these – like nutty theories um and then one time it was just one of those times that i was just tired of hearing them i just said dude i just outworked you that's just what it that's just what it comes down to and i'm not trying to be a dick but i i just when you were you know having a couple a couple beers with some buddies you know i was over here doing something and that's right that's just what it's and it's a little bit of a sacrifice of having well, a, it's a big sacrifice because you know. you're constantly moving. And motivation is bullshit mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Motivation, people are like, oh, I'm not motivated. Well, motivation is a way to keep you. Oh, if you're waiting to be motivated, yeah. that's just a way to keep you, you know. Not doing. They say it takes two seconds for you to have an idea, stall on that. And then all of a sudden your brain takes it as something that's not that good that it's going to protect you against, right? So motivation a lot of times, it's not about you need to be motivated to do something. It's just in the doing and it sounds like you do You just sit down and start doing it. There's time that I sit down to write or come up with something and it's garbage. But I'm doing it. Like I'm making the brain work. You know, like I'm not just sitting in front of the computer and, you know, I'm going to wait for the perfect sentence, you know, the perfect – collection of words that create perfect prose before I start. You know, you just start doing stuff, you know, and it's 90% of it is garbage, but you're getting the mind to work and you're, you know, and, and, and even if you're thinking, even if I'm, you know, on my feet in my office pacing, you know, when I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's all, that's all part of it as well. That's why you're so successful, Joe, because you're out there and you're doing it and you're working. And do you have anything up and coming that you want to talk about? Well, I'm leaving, um, um, to go do, uh, I, I do, uh, I, I've done a lot. I, I've been at Disney and Nickelodeon for 18 years back and forth. You know, I, I, uh, where I've done shows for both, for, for a lot of places. the shows you've done, my son used to watch. Uh, mm. There's a, there's a yeah. imagination movers. Oh my God. That's oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, but I, but I've done that. But what was weird is that, you know, and I love the family space. Like I, you know, like I never, I never thought that I would end up in the family space, but when I did, I found that I didn't slum it. I actually enjoyed doing the work in that world. But what ends up happening, it's a really weird thing in this industry because when you start doing kid stuff, then the rest of the industry is like, ooh, well, clearly you can't do one hours because – Right. You know, they want a pigeonhole. You're the kid's guy. You do things with fart jokes and booger jokes and yeah. all that. Like how could you possibly do something with you know, layers and depth like we do here in one hour world? So for the longest time, I was like, you know, uh, you know, I was like, oh God, I may never break into into one hours, which is what I've always wanted. Uh, so I just continued to make films. I can I made movies and 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 you know, whenever I got opportunities. And in fact, when I was making Ladron Cato Ladron, about day three, I was pulled aside by a couple of the producers uh, because I was encouraging funny. I was encouraging comedy. Right. And they were like, we're just afraid that you're going to turn this into a Nickelodeon movie. 
you know, and I'm like, what are you guys talking about? It's just funny, you know. And you know, yes. So, but but that sort of the family thing was always sort of haunting me, you know, no matter what I was doing because of the family thing. Everyone's like, oh my god, what are you gonna do? And I'm like, I'm guys, I'm, I'm a but grown man. But I think you break out gonna, of that. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna do a booger joke, you know, in the <laughs> middle of a, but whatever. And uh, but I you know luckily thankfully I, you know again because of the work thing you know it's like I just kept at it, just kept at it. And I'm like, guys, I'm not just this, I'm not just this. And then uh, Carlos Cotto, who I just mentioned saw Ladron, Ladron, and when he saw it, you know, and I, we had known each other for a while, and he came out and he saw the movie and he's like, dude, you should be doing one hour television. And I was like, I know, that's what I've been saying. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to find an opportunity and I'm going to bring you on to something that I'm doing. And he did. And it was from Dust Till Dawn. Oh, that's and amazing. And that's sort of, and the moment I did my first couple of one hours, it's now it's just taken off. So now it's this weird thing because I still kind of bounce back and forth. But what it, what it is now, it's just now it's just kind of showing that I could do this, but then I can go do this. And so I'm doing um, um, I'm going to go off in, in a week to go do another episode of Andy Mac, which is a Disney Channel show that is I, I think it's not just a booger and fart joke show. It's a very complex show. Uh, it's, a, it's a it's a great show. It's about a 13 year old girl who discovers that the woman that she thought was her older sister turns out was actually her mother. <gasps> and so oh. this is on Disney Channel. So it's, and it's cool and it's got these wonderful layered st- stories and it's all very grounded. It's not, you know, sticky like a lot of kids shows are. Um, and then right after that, I'm going and doing uh, two more episodes of Siren on Freeform. Oh. So I go from that, you know, a kid's <laughs> show about an angsty 13 year old girl to you know, Bristol Cove, a fictional town about predatory mermaids. You know, so it's fun. It's, hey, it's, a, it's a blast to be able to go back and forth. A day in a life with Joe. That's right. Able to be able to do both worlds. That's like, you know, it's, uh, I'm very grateful. It's, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful, and you know, that I, I'm able to now, at this point in my career, go back and forth. Well, Joe, I'm wondering if you'll play a little game with us called Hashtag Fake News. Okay. I'm going to call my producer in here. All right. And uh, let's get this game going. Let me just tell you, I always lose, but... Uh, I feel competitive today. So this is so this is I have to know if this headline is real or not real. Okay, yeah, Macy it. will explain everything. Okay, got it. Hashtag fake news. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining me on hashtag fake news today. Joe, I'm so excited to play this game with you. Oh, cool. I am too. Yeah, are I'm you ready? Nervous. But Joe's going down. All well, right. I'm feeling competitive <laughs> today. I don't know. You don't have the best track record, Elizabeth. But... I am certifiably stupid so i will probably lose it i highly doubt that okay so what we're gonna do is i'm gonna read you two news headlines and one is real and one is fake and you're gonna pick out which one is the fake news okay okay are you guys ready let's do this who goes first who 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 jumps i'm gonna let my guest answer first and then i'll answer after all right news headline number one florida woman named crystal methvin gets busted with crystal meth (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to let you guys think on that one. Okay. And news headline number two. New York man sleepwalks to work naked three times in one week. Which is the fake news? Joe. The second one is fake news. First one is real. Okay. I'm going to say anything that sounds crazy and fucked up and it's in Florida is real news. <laughs> so you're only picking it because it's in Florida. Is that exactly. Okay. That's the only reason. <laughs> oh my God, we have two winners today. Yes. You guys both got it. Yes. I cannot believe it. I Elizabeth, think this, this is never my first happened. win. I think it is. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Joe, you want a Cohiba. 
Did I really? Yeah. Oh my god. I have a cohiba waiting for you. Smoking the booth. Yeah. I'll bring you guys a lighter. All right. That'll be interesting. All right. Well, thank you so much for playing with me today, guys, and I'll catch you next week on hashtag Fake News. All right. Thank you very much. So, Joe, thanks again for coming in. And can you let our listeners know all your social media handles? Absolutely. Uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, just Joe Menendez. Um, just look for my uh, for my ugly mug on there. Uh, He's then, cute. Don't then, let him fool you. Uh, thank you. Uh, and then on Instagram, which I only got on Instagram, uh, I, I'm not kidding, like a month and a half ago. Oh, my God. Um, so it's um, uh, the Joe Menendez and then and between the the and the – Joe, it's under, so it's the underscore, underscore Joe underscore Menendez. I th- yes, is that correct? I, th- I should look at my phone. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm going to say yes with confidence. Yes, I think I think <laughs> yes. that is correct. I think that is correct. Yeah. Okay, I will also have it in the description okay. for people to be able to um, follow you. I seriously sound like um, like my mother right now. We're like, <laughs> I think there's a little line under the. Thing. I don't know yeah. what it's called, but yeah. it's a little line. <laughs> all right, so I ask this question to all my guests. Okay. And um, if you were left unsupervised and nobody could see you or hear you on set, what would you do? Well, uh, what typically happens, I think, I think this, happen, this happens to any director, but what typically happens to me when I'm done is I start to replay the day of everything that I've just shot. And, you know, I go through sort of a mental checklist like, all right, I got that. Okay, that works. That'll cut into that. That'll cut into that. And inevitably, there's going to be something like, oh, why did I do that? I, I could have just, if I would have, and I could have. So I think if I was left alone, um, I would, uh, this is probably cheating, but I, if I were left alone, I would probably call back a few actors and just go, it's just me. I have a camera. And just come back. I'm just going to redo some shots. No one needs to know because, you know, you never want... You know, the producer to know because yeah. then everyone's in overtime and all that. So <laughs> it's like, come on, we're just going to do a few shots. So I would turn the lights on. I would get the camera and I would just, I, you know, I operate cameras. So I would, I would go back and, you know, and oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, even when you've cut a scene, you know, I'll go back to a producer and I'm like, oh, do you know what? I would love to get back in there and do this shot or add this or whatever. And, oh, there's no money, Joe. There's no money. There's no time, which is, an, you know, it doesn't matter what budget level. It's not, if, if it's a, you know, big TV show or, or a small movie. Uh, there's never any time. So I think if I was alone, I think I would just work. I think I would see, like, what can I do? I have all the equipment at my disposal. I've got the set. And then I would find a way of shooting things that I can add to the movie or the episode that would improve it. Well, it's there so you go. <laughs> Joe, you're such a worker. I, I should have just said, I'll wear a feather boa. Yeah. Prance around in a kimono or, you know, like I would love to. <laughs> ding, do, ding, 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 no, ding. No, like, like I'll do the thing. What's, uh, what's the name of the guy in uh, Signs of Lambs? I'm going to tuck my penis between my legs and dance around in a kimono. But uh, I would, no, I would just do inserts. <laughs> you're just, <laughs> you know? For free. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to pay anybody. No, no. <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, thanks again, dude. It was like a pleasure having you. Oh, thank you very much this has been fun this has been a lot of fun anytime thanks for listening to left unsupervised don't forget to stalk us on facebook instagram and twitter at left unsupervised podcast we'll catch you guys next week thanks for listening